It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. And on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal 1, Fulham 1 in the Premier League. Now, I know that in between the time of the game finishing and me recording this podcast, there's been some massive, massive stories breaking with regards uh, to the uh, European Super League that there are a number of clubs, including ourselves, uh, who are trying to make it happen. You know, Arsenal, one of the Premier League clubs who have uh, seemingly signed an agreement or appear to be on board with it, at least. So um, that is obviously a major, major story. But we want to find out a little bit more about it. There are gonna, There is going to be, apparently, an announcement around about an, in an hour's time. And that's at the time of me recording this. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to go off on one about the European Super League, kind of brush today's game under the carpet, and then we see an announcement that actually gives us a little bit more clarity and then maybe what we were talking about isn't quite as relevant. So um, we are going to do a podcast on the European Super League and what it might mean for Arsenal, what it might mean for the Premier League, what it might mean for all the clubs that are involved. But that one, we're going to release it to you tomorrow morning. So this one's live on Sunday night. Audio listeners, you'll be getting this uh, first thing Monday morning. So a little bit later on today in your audio inbox, we're going to drop you another special podcast about the European Super League. Once we've had that announcement and we've had that extra bit of clarification. So this show is all about Arsenal's 1-1 draw with Fulham. So let's get into it. Another disappointing result in the Premier League. There's been plenty of those this season, so it shouldn't come as a major surprise, I suppose. Uh, but that doesn't make it acceptable. And, um, you know, I I feel as though Mikel Arteta got it wrong today. And, you know, I've been a, a defender of Mikel Arteta and, and a lot of the time I've been, you know, accused of sort of never wanting to criticise him. That's absolutely not the case. You know, you look at... Uh, the way things unfolded today. You look at it uh, from the very beginning, you know, you look at his team selection, Matt Ryan in goal. I, I don't think that really handicapped us in any way, shape or form, but he brought in Gabriel in the heart of the defence. Gabriel, who never seems to play very well alongside Rob Holding. The pair, for whatever reason, just don't complement one another. Hector Bayerin came in at right back. Mohamed Elneny came into the midfield instead of Thomas Partey. Gabriel Martinelli, started from the left instead of Nicola Pepe. And so in total, Mikel Arteta made one, two, three, four, five changes, five changes from the side that went and won in Prague so convincingly. So, you know, it's when you play very well and then you make a number of changes, 
you shouldn't be surprised when you look at your team and you see a lack of cohesion and a lack of fluidity and a lack of rhythm because that rhythm that you've established by turning in that really good performance in Prague, by uh, sort of going out there and taking the game to them and putting them to the sword where many people thought that we'd crash out. Just for me, it, you know, it didn't make sense. And, and I guess the flip side of that argument, and you've got to consider the flip side, is that perhaps not everybody recovered well enough in time. You know, we know that Arsenal didn't have much time uh, having returned from Prague uh, on, I think it was Friday morning. And then it was a, you know, Saturday day off and then Sunday you're back at it again. So I've got some sympathy for Mikel Arteta in that sense. And you could argue that Alexander Lacazette's injury is partly um, due to the fact that he was he was running on empty. But it's just, it's so frustrating because I, I said, to, I watched it with a mate today and I said to him, um, you know, sort of as the game was kicking off, I said, I'm not really sure that I would have made that many changes. I'm not really sure that I would have shuffled the pack so much, particularly with Arsenal not playing again in the Premier League until next Friday. And then the uh, first leg against Villarreal being six days after that, six full days. So it, it seems strange to me that Mikel made those changes. And he talks a lot about, uh, you know, not putting his eggs in one basket. He talks a lot about the significance of the Premier League still. Um, you know, I kind of, in the lead up to this game, talked myself back into the whole idea of us potentially uh, sneaking into Europe via the Premier League. You know, a win today would have put us just two points uh, behind Tottenham Hotspur. It would have put us on 48 points, Tottenham Hotspur on 50. We'd have been a point behind Everton, you know, going into the, our game against them. Next week, I know they've got a game in hand, but, it, you know, within a point, it's, it's still uh, very close. And all of a sudden, Arsenal could then get into a position where they're looking at Liverpool and then maybe even looking at Chelsea, who, of course, we still have to play. So, you know, it felt like it was an opportunity for Arsenal to, to, to reignite their Premier League season and to push forward and to give ourselves an alternative route of qualifying for European football next season. But it wasn't to be. And, I, and as I said, when I saw the amount of changes, I thought um, I thought this would be the case. I thought that Arsenal would struggle. And we'll come on to talk about the refereeing decisions in a minute. But I want to go through the team and, and just pick out a couple of individual performances because there were some I was a little bit disappointed with, if I'm honest. Um, I, I did look the whole Xhaka on the left, Ceballos and and someone in the middle with Sabayos kind of pulling out to the left and doing a slightly different role. It, it doesn't work as well with Mohamed Elneny in the side. He's honest. He's hardworking. You know, we all uh, admire his attitude, but he's just simply not at the level required. There is no getting away from that. Um, you know, there's there, there's no getting away from that whatsoever. And then, you know, you look in some of the other positions and I thought Gabriel Martinelli was actually... Really, really busy, always involved, always willing to take people on, always willing to have a shot, you know, always willing to to add a bit of energy and a, and a burst of pace where it's necessary. But I thought on a couple of occasions, and I know he's young and, you know, I know there's a lot of hype around him and there's people out there who want to see him play every single game. 
But for me, I think you you saw signs today of why Martinelli isn't playing every single game. And and as I said, you know, it might sound strange because I've just complimented him in terms of what he was trying to do, in terms of his desire to make things happen, in terms of his desire to, you know, get in behind and, and force the issue. I thought at times he tried too hard, in particular when he tried on the spin to take that shot off of Danny Sabas. He did take that shot off of Danny Sabas in the really early stages of the game. Um, and, you know, you feel as though had he left that, had he been a little bit more experienced, a little bit more aware and a little bit less eager to prove himself right now, uh, you know, Danny Sabas would have just opened up his boot and put that in the far corner and Arsenal would have broken the deadlock and it could have been a very, very different game. So it's not me digging out Gabriel Martinelli. I'm not doing that at all. I just, I think there were signs of immaturity in his game today. I thought sometimes he made the wrong decision when he got into those good positions. So it's great that he's getting there. It's great that he's doing half of the job, but then it just felt like at certain key moments, uh, Gabriel Martinelli would, um, you know, would make the wrong call, make the wrong decision. And it would lead to the, uh, not necessarily the outcome that we were looking for. Before we continue, just a quick reminder that this show is sponsored by Le Bomb. That's the new football predictor game. You can find the link to download it in the description. I'm playing um, I'm playing again this week with uh, Rory Jennings, with uh, Elliot Hackney, with Adam McCullough and with Boovy. And at the end of day two, of course, there's a game to come tomorrow, which will decide it. The reigning champion, me. I am top of the league again. I'm joint top with Boovy on 58 points. Adam McCullough's in third, Elliot Hackney's in fourth, and Rory is languishing down in fifth. So um, one more day of that to go, and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. But it is a game where you play against your friends rather than the bookies. You must be 18 to play. You must be a UK resident. Uh, but if you click on the link in the description, you can download the app. It's great fun. I've really enjoyed playing it. Um, it updates the scores as it goes with each goal that goes in. You see the table change. You see the table reflect that, which is, of course, really, uh, really cool for sort of banter purposes. So, uh, yeah, head over and uh, check it out. But let's get back to the 1-1 draw between Arsenal and Fulham. I talked about Gabriel Martinelli. I talked about the fact that with Mohamed Elneny in the centre of the park, that system, you know, the idea of playing Xhaka at fullback and then having a slightly different structure in midfield, it, it just didn't work for me. And we'll talk about it a little bit more on the upcoming tactical analysis of that one. But, you know, aside from that, I think it's important to to talk about what was out of our control as well. And what was out of our control was the referee. Um, some of the decisions today that we saw, mainly one, largely one, but one that ultimately, you know, uh, had a huge impact on the way the game went, was, of course, uh, the decision to award Fulham a penalty. Now, I don't really have an issue with with what occurred earlier. We had a goal chalked off for offside. It was marginal, but it was offside. And this is the thing with offsides, right? I don't take issue with that because it is a science, right? You're either on or you're off. I appreciate that some of these decisions feel a little bit too close to call. And I appreciate that maybe there needs to be an adjustment in the laws of the game whereby you need to have a foot ahead or you need to, you know, it, there's got to be some sort of adjustment made because I don't trust that those lines they use are accurate necessarily. But if that's the conclusion they come to, to a degree, as I say, offsides are a science and you've just got to say on or off. And, and they called off on that occasion. So 
Not a major issue with that one, but I did have a massive issue with the penalty that was awarded to Fulham because the VAR looked at whether or not it was offside. They found it to be onside. And again, similarly to the principles I've just spoken about with regards, uh, you know, with regards to to our goal that was ruled out in the first half, one of our two goals that was ruled out in the first half. Why were they not looking again at that decision? You know, the decision to award a penalty against Gabriel for a foul. I'm sure they did look at it, but they obviously didn't look hard enough because that is not a penalty in a million years. And it's not the first time that Arsenal have been on the receiving end of these kind of decisions this season. It's happened to us time and time again. I said earlier in the season, I thought that we'd have been, you know, um, at least nine points better off had it not been for, um, you know, for for what we've, uh, you know, for what we've had to deal with. I'm not going to say we would have been three points better off or two points better off, I should say, off the back of this one had the penalty not gone gone in because we didn't do a great deal ourselves, but we wouldn't, you know, we it's just another irritating decision that's gone against us. It's just another thing that we have to contend with. Inconsistency has been our biggest problem in terms of performances. As a team, we know that there are plenty of flaws. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that needs correcting at Arsenal. There's a lot that needs putting right. But what I would say is this. It doesn't help when you you got decisions going against you. And and Mikel Arteta for me is has been desperately unlucky um, at certain points in his in his managerial tenure so far. So not excusing him today because I I did think he got it wrong. And I thought his selection is what disrupted our flow, disrupted our rhythm, disrupted our fluency. You kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit because we don't know how those players recovered having uh, having gone out to Prague just a few days earlier and um and and played the way they did and pulled off the result that they did we saw an example perhaps of what happens when you don't rotate when you don't rest people when you do ask too much of them physically with Alexander Lacazette and we hope that that injury is not as severe as first feared because Alexander Lacazette has become such a vital clog in this team his link-up play is, is really good um shares a great relationship with all the players around him. And he seems to bring the best out of the likes of Saka, out of Emil Smith-Rowe, out of Nicola Pepe when he plays as well. So it's a bitter pill to swallow the injury to Lacazette. And yeah, I'm frustrated that Arsenal didn't uh, pick up all three points, particularly against a side languishing down at the bottom of the table. Yes, I'm disappointed that we failed to close the gap on Spurs, failed to close the gap on Everton, failed to close the gap on Liverpool. But what I'm most concerned about is the injury to Alexander Lacazette. It's a big, big problem. And especially at a time when we've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang out with um, with malaria. Now, you know, Arsenal are expecting him to be back by next weekend, but you don't know how long it will take, um, you know, for him to get back to full sharpness. And, and we've got a bit of an issue now at centre-forward because beyond Lacazette and Aubameyang, there's nobody I'd hang my hat on. There's nobody I look at and say, yeah, you're absolutely good enough to do that job. I don't really take too much of an issue uh, with which one of Aubameyang and Lacazette plays because I think they both um, bring things to the team. I think that Aubameyang is more of an out-and-out goal scorer, is obviously more able to run in behind, but Alexander Lacazette brings it a different dimension. So 
I think that Lacazette gives us more balance, but I wouldn't be upset or disappointed or not confident if Aubameyang was leading the line. So we need to get at least one of them two back as soon as possible. It's massive. Um, and of course, as I said, maybe this result, maybe the dropping of two points will shift Arteta's thinking going into that game against Everton on Friday. Maybe he'll almost dismiss the Premier League a little bit now. I know he won't say it. He'll never come out publicly and sort of make a point of it. But perhaps what happened today, perhaps the fact that we lost two points today will make him look at the table and go, well, if we were going to do it, our biggest chance was to take all three points from Fulham. And having failed to do so now, I don't want to take risks ahead of the first leg against Villarreal. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that situation develops. But just to kind of summarise on the performance against Fulham today, I thought we had to deal with a stubborn low block, a five-man defence for, for most of the game. We were on the end of a, a really poor refereeing decision, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and that obviously didn't help. But I'm not, you know... It's, it's it's really difficult because, you know, you, you can sit here and you can get wound up about it. You can sit here and you can, you know, shout you want Mikel Arteta out. You can sit here and you can say this is a mess and you can sit here and say, you know, it's, it's, it's not good enough. But all season, the reality is we've never been more than just around the corner from a result like this and from a performance like this one today where we had a lot of the ball, but we didn't really do a great deal with it. And I know sort of looking at some of the, the match facts and statistics. You know, Arsenal, for example, 70% possession. But it's all good having possession. But if you're not penetrative and if you're not creative and if you're not more moving the ball quick enough, a lot of that possession ends up being just sideways passes in front of the penalty area. And that's what happened with Arsenal today. It was a bit like a throw. Every now and again, we have these throwback performances where we look like the team of old, where... We had loads of the ball, but couldn't break anybody down. 18 shots in comparison to Fulham's three, but only five of those were on target. So that's a really disappointing conversion rate from Arsenal. And I'm not even talking about conversion into goals. I'm talking about conversion into shots on target. It's simply not good enough. And it's that, you know, that inability to, you know, to, to shoot accurately, the inability to penetrate teams despite having all of the ball, is why we've we've come unstuck so often this season. Um, and then when you, you have a bad, bad bit of luck down the other end of the pitch, and I, I still maintain what I said, I absolutely do not believe that was a penalty. I believe that Gabriel pulls out. I think if you really zoom in and really slow it down, you can see that perhaps the attacker's left his foot there and it's just slightly taken a touch off of Gabriel as he goes to put his foot back down onto the ground. But for me, that's not enough. And the player's already going over at that point. So it is really, really frustrating. That's about it, really, on, on this game, because I thought it was a, a poor game. I thought it was a, you know, a, a disappointing performance from Arsenal. It wasn't a good performance, I didn't think, for... Um, from Fulham either. So it was hardly a classic. I don't know if I want to dwell on it too much. I don't know if I'm ready to come down from my buzz following that Europa League result the other night yet. Um, you know, that's genuinely how I feel. And, and I guess 
on a day when I probably started this morning to talk myself back into the idea of Arsenal really pushing on in the Premier League and trying to make something of that as well, kind of been hit back down to earth. And now I'm feeling as I was feeling a couple of weeks ago when I was saying that the Premier League is gone and it is now all about Europe and it is all about focusing on that. Now, I know I said at the top of the podcast that I wasn't going to talk about the Super League and I'm not going to talk about it in detail on this edition. I'm going to record another video. I'm going to do it first thing tomorrow morning and it will be out around about um, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm going to save it for tomorrow because, as I said, right at the top of the show, prior to uh, coming live, the announcement or the alleged announcement or the reported announcement that we're supposed to be getting had not been out yet. So I don't want to go and sit there and go off on one and go on a massive rant about the Super League without knowing the facts, without understanding the plan fully. I would rather uh, process it overnight, understand it a little bit more, have a think about the pros and cons, and then come back to you with a more informative and hopefully insightful podcast tomorrow. So we will do that. But I'll just make one point on it because there are a lot of Arsenal fans who are really disappointed um, you know that Arsenal are even in the plans for this that Arsenal are one of the sides who have supposedly signed an agreement um, who are all for this then there's been some details leaked that say that um, Stan Kroenke is going to be the vice chairman of the European Super League and a lot of people are sitting there sort of having a go at KSE. And listen, I want to make it clear. My stance on the European Super League is that I don't want it to go ahead. I don't think there's anything wrong with the way football is now. I don't think there's anything wrong with having to qualify for the Champions League, having to qualify for the Europa League and teams essentially being there on merit. What I just want to stress, though, because I've, I, I'm not saying everybody, but I've spoken to a few people who have missed this point tonight. So I want to make it the point. The plan for the European Super League was not, and I repeat, it was not for the elite Premier League clubs to walk away from the Premier League and not play in it anymore. The European Super League, the idea of the European Super League is to replace the Champions League. The idea of the European Super League is to take away UEFA as the middleman to stop lining UEFA's pockets with huge sums of money, when actually it's the clubs that people are paying to watch. So some of the big heavyweights of European football have sat around the table, had a discussion and decided that this product that UEFA pride themselves on, the UEFA Champions League, the one that turns over millions and millions of pounds, they could create their own. They could make one that cuts out UEFA, but still has what it is that all of us keep coming back for, and that is elite level football. Now, some of you are saying in the chat, how can we be elite? We're a mid-table club, etc., etc. We're elite in terms of our, our size, and that's what it's all about. If you're Stan Kroenke now, okay, and, and again, stressing the point, I am not back in the European Super League, and I will do another a podcast on this in more detail where we talk about it properly once the plans are out there once we get a better understanding of what exactly is going on because it's all a bit up in the air at the moment there's a lot of ifs buts maybes 
But if you're Stan Kroenke and somebody comes along and says to you, we think you're one of the big, well, we know that you're one of the biggest clubs in Europe, might not be performing at that level right now, but in terms of your stature, in terms of your size, you are one of the elite. And we would like to bring you into the European Super League where you'll receive a payment of over £300 million to join, which is what's being reported. And as well as that, because you are one of the founding clubs, one of the founding 15 or whatever, the 15 mainstays, the 15 sides that will always be in it every single year. So the plan is for 15 sides to be in the competition every year without fail and five others will qualify. If you are part of the European Super League, you are guaranteed to earn Champions League level, in fact, bigger than Champions League level revenue, season in, season out. That's the appeal of it to Arsenal. That is why Arsenal are interested in this. Arsenal are killing themselves to try and qualify for the Champions League. Why? Because it brings money. KSE do not give a shit whether Arsenal are in the Champions League from a footballing perspective or not. KSE only care about the European Super League because it guarantees a huge revenue every single season. Now, the Premier League, UEFA, Serie A, La Liga, all these leagues coming out and condemning it has obviously thrown a bit of a spanner in the works because these teams, uh, these sort of federations, they don't want their competition to be devalued in any way, shape or form. They don't want their competition not to be the biggest earner for their clubs anymore. They don't want other competitions to come along and get bigger TV deals. That's their problem. And that's why they don't want this to happen. So if they do block those who want to participate in the European Super League, playing in the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, etc., then you'll have a breakaway situation. But the plan, the initial plan for the European Super League was not to break away. It was to continue competing in their domestic leagues and for the European Super League to replace the Champions League. European Super League games would be played midweek, just like, um, you know, just like the Champions League games are played now. Do I agree with it? No. But do I understand why these clubs have jumped at it? Yeah, I do. But I also think that it's criminal to do it at a time like this. I think it's criminal to do it at a time when the whole world is struggling off the back of this pandemic. So I'm not for it, not in any way, shape or form. I'm just simply trying to get the point across as to why I believe KSE and not just KSE, right? We can sit and dig out KSE, but there are plenty of clubs involved in this. You can see why all of those owners are big on it because they see the potential to bring in huge revenue every single season without fail, whether they finish first, whether they finish 14th. That's the appeal to the clubs. Doesn't really appeal to us as fans, but it appeals to the clubs. And as I say, we'll go into it in a little bit more detail uh, on tomorrow's uh, video. I'll be doing one especially about it. So I'll drop that late morning tomorrow. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. And let's see what's said in this announcement that we're supposed to be getting tonight. Who knows? The timing of it is to do with the fact that the Champions League were planning to finalise or, or sort of uh, go public with the final details of their new model. Um, and that's why this story has been leaked today. 
that's why it's all kicking off today. Um, that's Sunday, the time of recording. But yeah, um, let's wait and see exactly how this is going to play out, right? Because you could find that the big Premier League clubs go, well, if we can't play in the Premier League as well, then I think we're going to leave it. You know, you could have a situation where UEFA and the, the respective federations make it so difficult for this to happen that the other clubs think maybe it's not worth it or some clubs think maybe it's not worth it. And this landscape can change on this depending on how how much um, pushback they get and, and how far UEFA can go with that pushback. You know, there's rumours flying around that they're going to uh, put in a massive, massive um, lawsuit against uh, this idea of the European Super League. Maybe UEFA will have the bollocks to kick the teams who are currently competing in UEFA competition that are, have signed this agreement supposedly out of their competitions now. Maybe they'll do that. Who knows? I don't think they will. I don't think they'll have the balls to do it. But if they want it, if they want to stop it, I think UEFA have enough to be able to stop it and make it less appealing to those clubs and to those owners. But they have to tread very carefully because this idea has been brewing for a while. And it seems as though now uh, it might be uh, it might be on the horizon, which is um, I'm not sure it's good news for football. It's good news for those clubs involved. But as I say, I'm not sure it's good news for football in general. But don't want to keep going on about it because we're going to talk about it tomorrow in a lot more detail with a lot, a lot more analysis and with a lot more um, information to hand. So we've discussed the 1-1 draw against Fulham. Disappointing for a number of reasons. Not sure I want to dwell on it too much, though. Um, it's just been one of those seasons. It's just been, you know, the, as I said earlier on, these results have never been more than just around the corner. So uh, we'll take it on the chin. Perhaps Mikel Arteta, who might have been caught in two minds whether to focus on the Europa League or the Premier League, has had his mind made up for him by the fact that we've missed out on two vital points in the chase for European football via the Premier League. Who knows? Smash the like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, it's really, really important for the channel. Really, really helps. And uh, we're just around about 30, 35 subscribers away, I think, from hitting 13,000 on YouTube. And once we hit 13,000 on YouTube, we'd have exceeded the 20,000 mark across all platforms. So please uh, help us reach that milestone as soon as possible. Uh, it would be really, really much appreciated. And don't forget that this show is sponsored by Le Bon, the new football predictor game. The link to download it is in the description. You must be a UK resident and 18 plus to play it. But do check it out. It is great fun and I'll keep you guys posted on how I get on with this week's game. Catch you all tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Don't stress too much about the Super League. It still might not happen. Don't stress too much about the Fulham draw. We've come to expect it this season. I just can't wait till this campaign is over and we can all enjoy the European Championships and recharge and then go again next season. So I'll catch you all tomorrow. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.